0: Oh man, I'm good, I'm good. It is raining today, isn't it? Yeah, wow. It's like the third Sunday in the world. It's been. It's been remarkable. As we get started today, let me remind you of a few things. Number one, um, we do have a Christmas list that we give out every year, and we would just ask you to pray. Really, many of you have went so far above and beyond what we would call generosity. And in your generosity, you've made uh, so much of this happen. If God leads you to partner with us towards accomplishing these things together, um, you can just prepare on our um, Christmas Eve services. And come, just let us know that that gift goes towards that cause. Uh, It can be just... We're, we're providing foster care gifts locally or that we're providing a Christmas party at our uh, care point in Honduras or working on the renovations or saving to buy land all of these things that we're we're doing but you get to actively be a part of that we're so thankful that many of you have chosen to do that if you do God leads you to do that I mean anything counts okay so if it, it's just like we can we want to do this but we can just be obedient in what the Lord tells you to do it come to Christmas Eve prepared to make the those gifts then. Then we have, uh, just to go through Christmas Eve, Uh, Christmas Eve is this next Sunday, and so we have services leading up to Sunday. We'll do Thursday, Friday night, and then Sunday morning, and based on what Sunday morning looks like right now, we're looking at adding another service to Sunday morning. Okay, so we're looking at adding an eight thirty service where we already have a ten o'clock service. So you'll hear more about that if you're signed up through text messages or emails or looking at our social media stuff. Now, again, it was rainy, and I know that many of you today you're you're here because you there's you had every excuse to stay home, right? It was dark. You could have slept in. Maybe some of you not not feeling the best, or whatever it is, you know. But it, it, it's just you're here. You're here because you want God to do something in your life. I I, I was just thinking it's the third Sunday in a row that it's rained. Y'all believe that? It's, it was beautiful all week, and then it decided to rain on Sunday. A few years ago, it rained on Christmas Eve, and my kids came to me. Dad, is Santa going to be able to get to us? It's raining, and I said, of course he is. That's why he has reindeer, right? Reindeer. It's it's so bad. That's my wife up front, everybody. She is great. What do you call a uh, scary reindeer? You call them a caribou. It's not funny. It's not. I heard Rudolph had to go to the dentist. I don't know if you heard that. He did. He He went to a reindeer dentist because he had buck teeth oh i like to tell a few jokes as we get started throughout this series now this series is is really it's been a little heavy uh we're coming at it from maybe an an unusual um text we're coming out of uh, the book of what many of us call it the revelation right the revelation of the apostle john john this is later in his life he's written the gospel of john he's written first second and third John and then he was because he was one of the early church leaders he was targeted and and was sentenced to be executed and and the execution didn't work and so instead of trying to execute him again they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos so he's he's exiled and in exile he has these prophetic visions that he records in the book of the revelations John's Revelation gives us window-like prophetic glimpses into things that have happened in the past and things that will happen in the future. These are prophetic windows. And what we mean by that, when we say it's a prophetic, in, in other words, he's seeing something that we wouldn't see in the natural. All right? So the Gospels... You, you go Matthew chapter 2, where we, we hear about the visit of the, the Magi and the, the stuff that happens around the birth of Jesus in Luke 1 and 2. We see the natural. This is what we could observe. But John, in this passage that we're looking, Revelation chapter 12, John sees something prophetically that you wouldn't have seen in the natural. And so we're going to read through this. We've been in this for a few weeks. Would we you stand as we, be, we're, we just stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. So we're going to stand as we begin reading in verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to its throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days." Let's pray as we get ready to get started. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for this moment that we have together today. And God, we ask you that you would speak to us through your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. As you're taking a seat today, would you touch your neighbor and tell them, man, I bet you were a cute baby. Now you look back at them and say, no, I wasn't, I was an ugly baby. The first week in this series, we we looked at the woman, the mother of Jesus, Mary, and some scholars would say Israel, pregnant with the promise of the coming Messiah. Then in the second week, last week, we looked at the red dragon that wanted to devour the child, that flings one-third of the stars out of the sky, the enemy of your souls, known as Satan and the devil. This week we're going to look at the baby. And we see this first appear in verse 5. It's a very odd verse. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God into its throne. This is in one verse, the incarnation of Christ and then the ascension of Jesus after His death to His heavenly throne. It's as if this vision that John is having is not concerned with the details of the life of Jesus, much more concerned with the fact that Jesus came from God and then returned to God. One verse. And in this verse... He quotes Psalm chapter 2. We, we see it rendered in the text that we read. He will rule them with an iron scepter. I want to read this verse out of the New Living. The Lord said to me, this is a messianic psalm. This is a prophetic psalm looking ahead towards the coming of the Messiah. The Lord said to me, you are my son. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. So when John sees this vision of what's happening, somehow within him, this verse from Psalm chapter 2 is what resonates with what he sees about the Son of God. He will rule them with an iron scepter. Now think about this. Does that align with your perspective of Jesus? Because here's what I've come to know. Every one of us has a perspective of Jesus Christ. Does that, a God who would smash them with an iron rod and break them like clay pots, does that align with your perspective of Jesus? Because I believe this passage gives us a glimpse. Into the Son of God that we need today. I want to make a few observations about this as we get started. And the first one is this. Number one, people create different versions of Jesus that fit their needs or their beliefs. I mean, you go to all different kinds of churches. You go to, There's a Baptist Jesus. There's a Catholic Jesus. There's Pentecostal Jesus. And to be clear, like most of these versions, and this is not helpful or healthy, most of these versions are rooted in some form of truth. I mean, you get around somebody who's struggling with alcoholism and they'll say, yeah, but Jesus turned the water into wine. And yes, that's true. But He's also Jesus who defined drunkenness as sin. Get around somebody who struggles with anger and they'll say, yeah, but didn't you know Jesus turned over the tables in the temple? And that's true. He did. But He's also the Jesus who over and over again pursued peace, invited peace, and ultimately paid the price for us to live at peace with other people. This happens in politics. It happens in families where people erroneously create some version of Jesus that suits their current situation. But I need you to hear me. We will either create a God in our image or be formed into God's image. And I don't know about you, but I want a God that's smarter than me, bigger than me. And that's going to require at times a God that I don't understand and I might even disagree with. I mean, when God tells you to forgive and love your enemy, if that's not confusing, I don't know what is. I mean, principles of tithing. Give 10%. I'll bless the 90. It'll be like you. It's all taken care of. I'll protect you. That doesn't make sense. I want a God that's bigger than me. Stronger than me. Smart. And we'll either form a God that aligns with our own belief system or we'll be formed into the image of God Himself. Romans chapter 8 says this. He knew all about us before we were born. I just want to pause there and say, isn't it good to know that God knows you? There's nothing about you that's a surprise to God. You might be ADD. You want to know what? God loves your ADD. You might be prone to this or prone to... God, the way that God made you, He loves you. He knew all about you. But notice this. He destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of His Son. He did not destine us to convey our likeness to Him. God is not being conformed to my thoughts or precepts. I am being conformed to His likeness. This means the Son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like Him. Please hear what I'm going to say. God wants us to become more like Jesus. To be more like His Son. And when I say that, I don't mean the version of His Son that is comfortable and convenient to you. I mean to His Son as He is. So number two, to become more like Jesus, we must get to know Jesus as the Bible reveals Him to us. So many of us have no clue what it would mean to be like Jesus because we don't know the God of the Bible. Please hear me out. You need to know Jesus personally. When Jesus died on the cross, He bore your sin. He paid the price so that you can be reconciled into relationship with God. And at some point, that has to become personal to you it's not just communal it's not just i go to church it's not just this is what my family did or this is how i was raised it's absolutely personal it's not they told me it's not what my mama taught me it's not what the pastor said it's personal it's a personal relationship that we live in with jesus christ you know, I've come to see this about relationships. Healthy re- relationships require time, effort, attention, affection, and grace. And so many of us, we, we, want a healthy, we want a healthy marriage or we want to have healthy relationships with our kids, but we don't ever give our kids any time or attention. We want a healthy marriage, but we don't ever put any effort into it. This is true for all relationships. It's true for marriages. It's true for friendships, for your neighbor, all of these. It's the same principle. Time, effort, attention, affection, and grace. And here's the thing, you've been invited into a relationship with God. He's already taken care of the grace. Because you will never earn your way into that relationship. But there are things that you have the freedom in Christ to either live in or neglect. And that's whether you will give Jesus the time, effort, attention, and affection that is needed for that relationship that you have with Him to be fruitful. Some of you aren't living in the blessings of God because you're not putting in the work with Him. So, listen, this is a very important question. Is Jesus getting the time, effort, attention, and affection that would suggest that he holds the place in your life you confessed he does as a Christ follower? Because we'll say things like, it's all about Jesus, he's the most important thing, but you hadn't sat down to pray, you hadn't read your Bible. You haven't spent some time just alone in His presence. You haven't worshipped. It's been a long time. But we'll make that. That's who's most important. But your time doesn't reflect that. Your effort, the attention of your heart, the affections of your heart, they don't reflect that. Jesus deserves more than your Sunday morning lip service. He deserves more than you showing up on a Sunday morning and raising your hands and shouting a hallelujah and taking your notes and going home and living the exact same way. You want to know why He deserves more than that? Because He will show up for you tomorrow morning and the next morning and the next morning and He deserves us to show up in pursuit of who He is. It's got to become personal at some moment. And at some point in your life, you're going to have to make a desire that I'm going to go after God. I'm going to get to know the God of the Bible. I'm going to get to know who Jesus is. And I'm going to endeavor in my life to become more and more like Him as the Holy Spirit empowers that within me. But just in some reflection over the message... Of Christmas, I wanted to just make a statement about who Jesus is. Who does the Bible show us Jesus to be, especially in the message of Christmas? Number three, the Bible reveals Jesus as the God who comes to us. Today, if you're hurting, if you're grieving, I want you to know that God still comes to us. If you feel lost and you don't know what to do, God is still the God who comes to us. If you're weak and you don't know how you can do it another day, God is still the God that comes to us. This is embedded into the story of Christmas. Isaiah, often called the fifth gospel, this book in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 7, has a, a this messianic prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. It says, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. Theologian Sinclair Ferguson said that throughout history there have been many virgins who conceived a child, but they did so when they consummated a relationship with somebody that they had been espoused to. But this verse was talking about something vastly different. Mary, who is surrendered to Jesus, surrendered to her maker, who is espoused to Joseph but has not been with him, who is overcome by the Holy Spirit and then found to be with child. And this text, this prophetic vision, says she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. There are two names given to Jesus at Christmas. Jesus, which is a derivative of Joshua, the Savior. And then Emmanuel, which means God with us. I can't tell you how different this is than every other religion that postures that we will earn our way to God because I do it right and I get it right. You will get to this level and this level if you can check those boxes off. That is not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that Jesus came to us when we were lost and broken and hurting. And He said, I know that you cannot get there on your own. So I will make a way for you. All you need to do is follow me. That was over and over again his invitation. Would you follow me? Would you walk with me? And throughout the centuries, over and over and over again, millions of people have made the decision, I will follow you. But I want to think about today, what would it mean to follow Christ into Christmas? What do we see in the story of Christmas that is an invitation to a new way of following Him? There's another passage in the Bible that much like Revelation 12 gives us a different perspective of the Christmas story. It comes out of Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul, writing the church in Philippi, includes a poem that he's written about Jesus. And it begins in verse 5 with these words. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. You must. This is a non-negotiable. Some of us might think, well, I could choose this or I could choose... No, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then the next few verses are going to, in the middle of this poem, go on to explain the attitude of Christ. And you're going to see that this is in the message of Christmas. Beginning in verse 6. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Jesus, Colossians chapter 1 says, is the co-creator of the universe. Everything, you and me and everything we've ever seen, were created in Him. And yet, the King of heaven who sat on its throne did not hold on to that. That's where Paul says here, instead He gave Up his divine privileges, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. You might be saying, Slave, what do you mean by this? From Adam to now, every human being born was a slave to sin. So Jesus, being born into the trappings of a human body, was born into an army of slaves. Enslaved to sin. The very next verse, when He appeared in human form, He humbled Himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. In the first century, when Jesus is born, royalty lived in palaces that were carved out of stone That were decorated with gold. But the King of Heaven is born into a wooden manger and would be nailed to a wooden cross. What we see in these few verses is a remarkably different perspective of Christmas. And I want to give you a few things as just takeaways. If we're going to follow Christ into Christmas, number one, you got to guard your heart. You got to guard your attitude. Think about it. What did the text say? You must have the attitude of Jesus Christ. And so many of us, if we think about it in our life right now, we might even be doing the right things. But we're doing the right things and we're not getting the right results. And the reason is, is that we've got the wrong attitude. You can do the right thing with the wrong attitude and all of a sudden it becomes the wrong thing. We've got to guard our attitude. The text says you must have the attitude of Christ. But you have an enemy. We've talked about that in this series. An enemy that wants to tempt you to take up the attitudes of this world. An attitude of pride that makes everything about you. An attitude of entitlement. You deserve, I deserve that honor. I deserve that respect. I deserve that. In all of these sinful, broken attitudes that we see in the world. But listen to me, you're never going to get heavenly blessings with a worldly attitude. And there's some stuff that there's no money that can buy it for you. It's only a blessing from God. And we want it. We're trying to live in such a way that we could. But we're never going to get that kind of stuff in our life with a worldly attitude. That's why you must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Guard your attitude. Then number two, give up and go low. Give up and go low. If you've been around here, that might be a little confusing. Listen, pastor, you've told me never give up. What are you talking about? This is weird. Doesn't the Bible say not to give up? It certainly does. The book of Galatians says, don't give up. For in due time, you will reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up. But there are some things that we need to give up. For some of you, it might not be your, your attitude. That attitude of entitlement. Or that, that offense that you're carrying. Or that thing that you've been holding on to that you know God said to let go of. Here's what I'm saying. Give up living any other way but God's way. Stop trying to do it your way and arguing with God because you're not getting the results you think you should have. Give up doing it your way and start doing it God's way. And that's why I say you've got to give up and then go low. What I'm talking about here is choosing humility. In the text, we see that Jesus gave up His divine privileges. And then the text says that He took the humble position. Let's make this personal for a moment. When's the last time you gave up your privilege and took the humble position? you need to hear this some of us we well I've got all the power I've got all the strength you can make a point but will you make a difference when's the last time you gave up your privilege you owe me that respect you owe me that you gave up your privileges and took the humble position I mean sure I know many of us would say but I've earned it I've earned that. You haven't seen it, Kevin. Behind closed doors. I've, been, you, I've earned it. Listen, if you get everything you deserved, or at least you think you're getting what you deserve, you are not living like Jesus. If you feel like the only way that life is ever going to be right is when I'm getting what I deserve. They're respecting me. They're treating me with dignity. I'm getting honored over here. I got that promotion that I deserve. If you feel like that's the only way life will ever be good, please listen to me. That's not living like Jesus. Jesus deserved the praise of heaven. But He surrendered to the cross. He gave up His divine privilege and He surrendered to the plan of redemption. So if we're going to follow Christ into Christmas, number one, we guard our attitude. Number two, give up and go low. Number three, grow through surrender. Grow through surrender. Please hear me. We don't often understand growth. Far too many of us think that I will grow as a Christ follower when I learn more. There are too many Christians who think they're very mature because they know a lot, but they don't live a lot. We grow through surrender. I don't care how long you've been serving Jesus, you still have more to surrender. We grow through surrender. Did you notice what it said about Jesus? He humbled himself in obedience, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Hebrews chapter 5 reflects over these verses when it says that even though Jesus was God's Son, He learned obedience from the things He suffered. When Jesus nailed to the cross, suffered under the weight of His sin. When that happened, I need you to understand that there was something happening. God didn't spare His own Son. He allowed Him to suffer. And while He suffered, He learned something. Jesus had surrendered fully to the plan of redemption. And in that surrender, the Scriptures say, He learned. How much more do we need to surrender? For you today, it might mean that you need to surrender your attitude. You've been living like they. I'm, I'm mad at. I'm offended that they didn't. They're not respecting me. They're not honoring me. They didn't do that. That's not right. They owed that to me. Maybe you need to surrender your attitude. Maybe you need to surrender your pride. Maybe you need to surrender that attitude that makes it all about you. That's what pride is. Pride, it can manifest as sometimes arrogance for sure, but it also can manifest as insecurity. Because what happens is pride makes it all about you. It's very hard for somebody who's struggling with pride to celebrate other people. It's very hard for somebody who's struggling with pride to not make things about them. Maybe it's pride today. Maybe today it's your way because everything in your life has to go your way. You get all frustrated with God when things aren't happening the way you think they're supposed to happen. You get frustrated with other people. You get mad. It's supposed to happen this way. Maybe today you need to surrender your way and realize that God has a way and His ways are not your ways. Maybe today it's your life. Just as you reflect, you recognize that maybe I'm, I've, I've walked away from this. Maybe I've never even surrendered to it. What do you need to surrender to God today? Is it your attitude? Your pride? The way you're living? Is it your life today? This is why this is important. Because John makes this epically clear in Revelation chapter 12 that the enemy we face in life is much bigger than you are. But that enemy is not bigger than God. And it's our surrender, right? That's the only path to victory. It goes through surrender. It's our surrender that unlocks victory in our lives.